Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church today. If we have never met before, if this is one of your, fir your first times here, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at FCC. And as you can see from the video, we're continuing our teaching series, Made for This Moment. It comes from a phrase that we use from time to time here. Uh, that the church was made for moments just like the one we live in today, and these moments were made for us. And in this series, we're talking about some of the unique challenges and opportunities in front of Faith Community Church, this congregation, right now. And today, we're going to talk about being a community of purpose in the midst of distraction. By purpose, what I mean is that the church is unique in this sense. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are able to say to the world and to each other with integrity, we really do know why we're here. We really do know what we're made for and we know where things are going and your life really does mean something. It means something profound and not just something that you make up to cope, but something rooted in the historical, rational, investigatable reality of Jesus. And not just the parts of your life that you like, not just the parts of your life that are going well, but if God has raised Jesus from the dead, then he intends to redeem every part of our lives. The painful part of our lives, the, the parts that have not gone the way that, that we had wished. It all means something and it, all, it is all being taken up into something that is unimaginably awesome. And that's what we mean by purpose. The challenge, and we've talked about this several times in the last five, six, seven months or whatever. The challenge in the St. Croix Valley, which is where you're seated right now, is that we have the means here to distract ourselves from even considering those questions all the time. We have it within our power to distract ourselves and our children from ever needing to even consider those questions in any meaningful or intentional way with our toys and our travel and our work and our family and our cabins and our Netflix. And we can just keep ourselves and our kids going and going and going. You know, you know this is true. Going and going and going without ever stopping to, to think, why are we doing all of these things? What does it all mean? Uh, is it going anywhere? Those questions, if we don't want them to, don't ever need to bother us. This is from Tim Keller. He says, Miguel de Cervantes, Albert Camus, Aldous Huxley, Tolstoy, Voltaire, Shakespeare, Jesus Christ. They all have one thing in common. They all know that the average person is so busy with work and play that we can go around for years and years and never ask, why am I doing all this? What am I here for? And when all is said and done, what will I really have to show for my life? The great thinkers know we're all just running around and afraid to ask the question, end close quote. If that is not the St. Croix Valley, I don't know where you live, but that's where I live. Tolstoy said, it is possible to live this way as long as we're intoxicated with life. In other words, as long as you're distracted, you can keep it up. But he says, as soon as you're sober, you can't help but see it's all a delusion. And even Christian parents, okay, can do this if we're not careful, not from fear maybe of the questions, just because we lack a sense of intentionality. We lack a sense of perspective 
and we just kind of go along with the flow and before we know it, our kids have graduated and we've never really given them a sense of awe and wonder at God's kingdom and a, and a model of zeal for things that are going to matter 10 million years from now. So today we're going to read a parable together in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, and the purpose of the parable is to sober us up. Okay? So let me invite you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 25. That'll be on page 830 if you want to borrow a Bible from under the chairs in front of you. When you get there, especially if you have a, a red, so I brought my red letter Bible today. The red letters are, the word, are words that Jesus spoke directly. You can see it's just pages of red letters here. And what's happening in Matthew chapter 25 is uh, Jesus has just prophetically announced that Jerusalem and the temple are going to be completely destroyed. And that did happen in the year 70 AD. And his disciples naturally want to know, well, when is this terrible thing going to happen? So in response, Jesus gives this really long uh, teaching, not just about the destruction of the temple, but about what we can expect throughout this final age of history. Uh, from, from his resurrection until his return, Jesus lays out for the disciples, here's what you can expect. And uh, the theme of these chapters is, it's going to be a while, stay awake and be prepared. And then to drive the point home, he uses a bunch of parables. So that's Matthew chapter 25. There are a bunch of parables there. And each parable is about the end of the world. It involves some kind of extended delay followed by a sudden return and then a judgment. And again, the message is stay awake because no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. He is coming. This is not a joke. And what you do with your life will matter. It will matter forever. Okay? Now, just in case you're here today, maybe a friend invited you. This is this is your first time considering some of these things and today we're talking about the end of the world and the return of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things for me. One is, I know this sounds super weird, okay? I'm going to invite you to just suspend disbelief for 30 minutes, okay? And to enter into a story that Jesus of Nazareth tells about the way the world actually is. And I can, I'm not going to take a lot of time to prove this today. My only thing today is to say, we believe this is a man speaking that was raised from the dead. So that means something, <laughs> okay? So if this is your first time here, or you're just considering this, a friend invited you, or you stumbled across this online, suspend disbelief for 30 minutes with us and consider what Jesus is really saying. Okay? Everybody say okay. Okay, all right. You guys are so obedient. Here we go. Matthew 25. We're just going to look at the middle parable, which is verses 14 through 30. And here's what he says. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a parable is a story that Jesus uses to teach a spiritual principle But he does it in a way that it's meant to create its own response. It's like a good joke. So the way a good joke works is that there's a turn in the story that catches you off guard and you involuntarily laugh. Well, a parable is kind of like that, but instead of making you laugh, it makes you really uncomfortable if you get it right. So most parables have this twist and you find yourself kind of saying, oh, I do not like that. Uh, Why does he say it that way? I I don't want it to be this way. And when you do that, okay, when you have that kind of ugh, moment, well, you've probably got your finger right on the point of the parable. And Jesus wants you to consider more deeply what he's saying. So, uh, you guys never talk back to me, I'm not, but where, where's the place in the story where that happens for you? You say, oh, this suddenly took a turn for the worse. Well, uh, I would bet for most of us, the turn in the story is when the master begins talking to the third servant in verse 26. It starts to get a little uncomfortable, but especially verse 29. Okay, this seems really unfair. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Oh, that, that doesn't seem very fair. You know, that the poor should be stripped of the little he has and given to the rich. It's not fair. Well, It would be unfair if this were a story about economic principles, okay? So just so we're all clear, this is not a teaching about unbridled capitalism, okay? And everybody said, oh, shucks. It's not. Uh, Jesus is teaching a spiritual truth. He's trying to teach a spiritual law to shake us out of our dullness and our slumber. He's speaking to distracted people to say, this is really important and you need to pay attention. So look at what he's saying. Uh, He says, the kingdom of heaven is like when a master goes away on a long journey, verse 14, and he calls his servants and gives them, he entrusts to them his property. And it says that he gave them talents, okay? 
So what you need to know is that a talent, as far as I know anyway, a talent was the largest unit of measurement we have in scripture. Okay? In other words, he's saying the master distributed to these guys a small fortune. Uh, we don't know, you know exactly what kind of metal it was, but just for perspective, okay? If this were a Roman talent of gold, each talent would be worth about $2.91 million. Okay, so even the guy with the one talent has more than you, okay? 2.91 is an enormous amount of money. Remember, Jesus is not teaching about economics. He's teaching a spiritual principle. And so the talents here are meant to represent the sum of everything that God has entrusted to your care. Everything that kind of makes you you. Your, our natural gifting and abilities our struggles and our disabilities, our personalities. You know, some of you just have naturally gregarious and outgoing personalities. Some are more reserved. Our emotional intelligence, our natural intuition. All the stuff they measure with like the Myers-Briggs and the Strengths Finder and Enneagram and all this stuff they make you do at work. Uh, it's, these are the talents that God has given to you. It would include the time and place in, in which we're born, right? Okay, a teenager in Ukraine or Israel today is gonna experience very different things than a teenager in Hudson, and there are good and bad things that will come with both. The educational opportunities you've had access to, the experiences you've had access to, your health. Some of you look like if you were hit by a car, we'd be nervous about the car. You're just so robust. And, and some, of, some of us will struggle with weakness and chronic pain and disease all of our lives. Um, whether we have long lives or short lives, not everyone sees 20. You know that. Uh, talents would include our families of origin. Some of you come from Christian families that stretch back to the Mayflower. Some of you are learning about Jesus for the first time right now. Uh, some of us come from stable and happy homes, from, from stable and unhappy homes, from parents of, you know, I mean, there's a million different, on and on the list could go. These are your talents. This is what, this is the hand that God essentially has dealt to you. And you'll notice the master doesn't give ever, anyone the same thing. One receives five, another two, another one, and he's free to do that. And the question is, what will you do with whatever he's given you? Before you, before you allow your heart to grumble today, before you allow your heart to begin to say, ugh, I've not got nearly as much as so-and-so, please, please, remember, even the one with the one talent has been given way more than he could have asked for, okay? What will we do with it? I just want you to notice also the master gives no instructions to the servants. They're left to use their best judgment Based on what they know about the master, he gives them no time frame. Okay, I would like to know, Lord, are we talking six months or 60 years because I would invest differently based on your time frame. He gives them no time frame. He leaves each one a small fortune, no instructions, no time frame, and then he leaves. And this, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You don't know how long you have. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you every jot and detail. Do your best. And uh, what are we to do? Okay, what are we to do? Verse 16, get after it. Get after it. Uh, get after it with single-minded devotion. Verse 16 says that the one who received the five talents went at once 
and traded with them. And so also, verse 17, so also the one who had the two talents. The assumption is he also just got after it as quick as he could. And they did really well. I mean, wouldn't you love to, wouldn't you love to know their Charles Schwab guy? Uh, they both double their return, five into a whopping 10 talents. Of, again, if it's gold, we're talking $30 million or something like that. Anytime, this is what we see. Anytime that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, and there are a number of parables similar to this one throughout the gospels, and then we have the parable of the sower and the parable of the mustard seed and on and on. Anytime Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the message is clear that while we cannot predict the future and we have no way of knowing exactly what is going to happen, we will be blown away by the returns of obedient service to the king. You can't loose in the kingdom of God. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you cannot lose. It is a fail-safe investment, okay? So students, high school students, college students, whoever's listening today, I know some of you are trying to figure out what you're going to do after you graduate. Where should I go to school? What job should I take? Should I ask this girl out? Should I do this? Should I do that? And Here's the master saying, look, I've given you everything you need. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. You have the church full of people you can ask questions for. But this is the law. This is the, the infallible spiritual principle of the universe. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you get it all. Everything gets thrown in. That's Matthew 6, 33. Okay? And he says this all over the place. This is Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. The master is not a stingy guy. Like, he, he wants to just lavish blessing on you. Mark chapter 8. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. And here in Matthew 25, he says, To everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's the same principle. This is, the, this is a law at the heart of this parable. Anyone that uses his life, the life that God has given him for the glory of God and the sake of his kingdom will see it grow beyond his wildest imaginings and more will be added to it. But for those who will not, for those with a stingy view of God or those who want to keep their lives for themselves or something like that, you will watch it slip away from you little by little until it's gone. Those who seek the kingdom and his righteousness with single-minded purpose will be astonished at the return and more added to it. Look at verse 21. This is what really blows my mind. The, mas the master said to him, well done, bravo, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Did you, did you catch that word? You have been given little, little, $15 million, just a little. 
I gave you just the, you know, the sloth from my budget, from my balance sheet, and you did really well. Come on in to the real deal. These, these talents, this small fortune is nothing to the master. He doesn't even miss it. He's on vacation, spending the rest in a really crazy way. Meanwhile, you're thinking, wow, 15 million. He doesn't even know it's gone. In fact, he gave it to you because he's like, well, if he blows it, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's, he's Jeff Bezos times 10 million. I'm not going to, okay. These 10, what are the talents to the master? A test. That is all. A test and then judgment. So this life that you have been given, these 10 or 20 or 70 or 90 years, and with all of its potential and all of its joys and all of its struggles and everything that it comes with, little. It's just little. And the master wants to know, what will you do with little? Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a bunch. I wonder what a bunch looks like. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived of, that is what God is preparing for those who love him. That's what scripture says. What is the master doing? Now we have to go outside of the parable, okay, to just stretch it a little bit, but this is what scripture, we, this was a theme of Hebrews, which we just finished recently. What's the master doing? He's making servants into sons. That's what he wants. He's, he's taking these servants and getting them ready to be heirs with him of all things. Just a little, what will you do with it? Now what happened with the third guy? Why did he go and bury the talent? Well, he tells us why. He explains in verse 24, because he didn't trust the master and because he resented the master's position and power. He says, master, I knew you to be a hard man. Okay, there's nothing so far in the parable that would warrant that, but okay. Let's just ask the question, is God hard? Is God hard? Of course he is. That doesn't mean that he isn't good. It doesn't mean that he can't be trusted. A couple of months ago we read, again in the book of Hebrews together, chapter 12, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, then you're an illegitimate child and not a son. That was Hebrews chapter 12. It, that's a passage about the hardness of God that he disciplines and he trains. And it's not always fun, but it isn't ever arbitrary. It's never meaningless. He's treating you as his children to prepare you for something greater. Also, I, we just have to add that the hardness of God is not the whole story about God. Okay, Isaiah chapter 42, a bruised reed, he will not break, and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. God is tender and kind. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34. Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's our master as well. 
But this servant can't see any of that. He just sees that he doesn't like his life and it's not going well. And so he hid his talent because he just doesn't trust the master. But the others, he resents the master. He says, you reap where you didn't sow, you gather where you scattered no seed. See, rather than seeing the master's gift as, and the, you know, this, the prospect of future glory, he calls the master lazy and unjust. Neither of those is true at all. But you can even hear it in his tone of voice. He says, here, have what's yours. Yeah. And the master says, well, uh, sorry, guy three says, I hid this because I was afraid of you. And the master actually responds. He says, no, you hid it because you're wicked and lazy. Uh, he says, you know, here's the test. If you, if, if you had hid it because you were afraid, you would have at least taken it to the bank. So I would have earned, I mean, that requires nothing of you. There's no risk there at all. You would have at least done that. But burying it is personal. This is personal. Uh, he doesn't, he resents the master. He doesn't want to be a son. He doesn't even want to be a servant. He does not want a relationship with the master at all. And that's what he gets. He just, he has other priorities. He has other cares. You know, we don't know. It's just a parable. So we're kind of way reading behind, between the lines here, but he just has other priorities and that's what he gets. What we need to see in all of the parables of God's judgment, there's a, there's a natural and an organic judgment or, or there's a natural and organic connection between our lives here in the world and the life to come. We should not think about our lives here and eternity as these completely disconnected things, but rather there's an organic and natural connection. Uh, what we have wanted here and what we have pursued here and what we've been zealous for and what we have loved, there will be a natural and organic connection to what we receive in the next life. This third servant resented his master, doesn't want to serve him, certainly does not want to enter into his joy. We, and that's what he gets. Re remember in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is to be turned over to the things you love. And it's horrible. In that place, Jesus says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's awful, but it's not unjust. To the others, to the other two, what does he say? I will set you over much. Guys, there are a lot of compelling reasons, okay? A lot of compelling reasons to live a holy, zealous, wholehearted life for God. A ton of them. But among the top five has to be this, that what is sown on earth, you will reap in eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Galatians 6, 7 through 8, and this parable and a number of other places point us to this reality that what you are sowing now, you will reap in eternity. We're gonna serve God forever, the Bible says. We're gonna reign with Jesus as prophets, priests, and kings, Revelation 1, 6, and 5, 10, and 22, 5. Those who are faithful over a little will be faithful over much. They'll be given charge of much. In Revelation 14, 3, it says, those who die in the Lord rest from their labors, but their works follow them 
into eternity. So we all receive the same eternal life, the same home with God, the same fellowship with God, the same blessedness and all, but there will be, there will be degrees of glory and honor in proportion to how we have loved God today. Revelation chapters one through three even indicate that, that churches will receive different kinds of crowns according to their faithfulness and their dedication. So just real quick, isn't it wrong? Isn't it wrong to live a good life so that you get rewarded? Well, only if there's an unnatural or inorganic connection between this life and the next one. But we're talking about sowing and reaping. And nobody gets angry at the farmer for sowing a lot. Okay? Because it's, the reaping is the natural reward. This is, of course, C.S. Lewis is always the best guide to the afterlife. And so here's what he says. If you ask 20 good men today what they thought, the highest virtue was, 19 would reply, unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. Do you see what's happened? A negative, unselfishness, has been substituted for a positive, love. The negative ideal of, of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. I don't think this is what the Christian virtue of love is. Nearly every description of obedient love we find in Scripture ultimately contains an appeal to our desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that our desire for our own good, and that we earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it, is a bad thing, I submit that notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics, not part of the Christian faith. Indeed, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We must not be troubled when people say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. And then he goes on to talk about how, you know, the, the natural reward for love is If a guy gets married for money, what do we call him? A dirty, rotten gold digger. Because that's not a natural thing. But if the reward of love is marriage, well, that's, they're, they're, they're meant to go together. He talks about a general. If a general goes to war to try to make himself look great, well, then we would call him a mercenary. But if he goes to war out of love for his country, well, then that victory is the, 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 and the accolades that come with it are a natural outworking of what he's done. And so it is with the rewards that Jesus is talking about here when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He's just talking about the natural reward of love. Looking at it the other way, if, if God has sent his son into the world as a conquering tyrant, the natural reward of that would have been slaves. 
but he has sent his son into the world as a peasant, a servant, to die in place of sinners, and what is the natural reward for that? Children of God, love. Reciprocated love is the natural reward. Likewise, if you love God and you seek him and you pour your life out in his service, if you love his glory above everything else, then it makes sense that you should share in it forever. This is my concern, my ask. And I, I, I've been thinking especially of dads this week. Okay. We are, you're responsible for setting the tone in your home for what is most precious, what is most valuable, what we're gonna go after with the most zeal. I, I wonder if we asked your kids what dad cares about the most, if they would say the kingdom of God or my curveball. Does that make sense? How short-sighted to spend literally hundreds and hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars perfecting his curveball and you never teach him zeal for the kingdom of God, which is gonna last forever. Now, by the way, you can teach a kid to throw a curveball for the kingdom of God, and you're smarter than me, okay? But I'm just, what I wanna ask today is, are you thinking through your priorities in life in light of what Jesus says is coming, or? just letting the current carry you away. One of the people in our congregation that is, right now is embodying for me zeal and love for the kingdom of God right now is our next generation director, Dan Clancy. Uh, some of you know Dan's faced some health challenges recently and we, we had a conversation one day driving around in his Jeep and it was so moving to me I just thought, we have got to get this on camera. And so I asked him, Dan, would you just come down to the studio, just sit down with me and let's have the same conversation and I'm gonna share it with everybody. And he said yes. So I just, I wanna roll that video right now and then I'll, I'll, I'll invite you to respond, okay? Just introduce yourself real quick. I'm Dan Clancy and I'm in charge of the next gen. So I'm in charge from birth to college. And can you give us just your 60-second faith story, how you became a follower of Jesus and uh, why you're so passionate about what you do? I grew up as Catholic, and uh, all my life, I've always wanted to know God in a deeper way. When I got in high school, I met someone, Danny Kelly, who goes to this church, hmm. and uh, he just asked me this question, do you know for sure if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? And I didn't know. I didn't have that assurance of my faith. And uh, I went to Mexico on a missions trip. And I realized that all these people that we were sharing the gospel with, um, they had something that I didn't. They had peace. And uh, they had assurance of their salvation. And that week, I invited Christ into my life. And my life has never been the same. Dan, can you tell us what happened in your life this last spring and how you're responding to it? In April, 
I've noticed I had a little lump on my neck. It was the size of a marble. And we called the doctor and it took three weeks to get in for the doctor. And by the time it went from a little lump to it went from 4.5 um, inches and size of a Twinkie on my neck. And the doctor immediately did a biopsy on it and it got into Mayo. That day, my life definitely changed. It was May the 4th and the doctor said to me, surgeon, is that tumor is so big that we think it's gonna burst out of your neck. Hmm. Never heard anything like that. Mm -hmm. They're like, this is very, very serious. In our opinion, you only have maybe six months to live. Mm. And me and Leah immediately just look at each other in tears. How do you how do you prepare yourself to hear something like that? Mm. And I'm like, surely this doctor is wrong. Mm. You know, they're, they're, I'm not even sick. I don't even feel bad. I got a lump on my neck, so mm. big deal. Then I go to the next doctor, and it's the cancer doctor, and they're like, "There's not much we can do," mm. and uh, this is a very difficult thing that we're asking you to do. So anyway, I was hoping I'd hear some really good news, and I didn't hear any good news. And then we went to the third doctor, and it was the same thing. And they're like, you're just going to have to go through the process. And first process was to get surgery. Second process was to go through um, proton therapy. And then right now I'm in chemo. Mm -hmm. And on the way back, the hour and a half that you have back, we're like, what are we going to tell our kids? Mm -hmm. How are we going to deal with this? If it really is going to be six months, mm -hmm. how does that affect the rest of our life? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go through all those things and difficult conversations you have with your kids. That knowing the things that you're going to have to go through, which was very, very painful. Then I got to the next day and I thought, wait a second. A doctor doesn't tell me when I'm going to die only god does mm -hmm. and here i am reacting to what these three doctors have said and you know i haven't even really talked to the lord about it other than feel sorry for myself and then i went to the lord and i'm like no this is not this is not the way it's gonna end and he and i told the lord I'm like, thank you. I'm like, thank you. I've had a really good life. Mm. And if that is the fate that you have for me, or six months that I'll be seeing you, that's great. Mm. And I'm ready for that. I know where I'm going. In fact, the, in fact, the doctor, the third doctor that we saw when he told me that this is what it looked like. I told him, I'm like, you know what? I'm sure you tell people this every day and it's really bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, but I don't have the same view. Mm -hmm. I don't have the same view as death as most people. Mm -hmm. I embrace it. I said, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to die yet. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd hate to have your job. Telling people all day long that they're going to be passing away in six months. I would hate that job. You know, when I came to my senses the next day, I'm like, no, I have today and I have tomorrow and I have every day until God decides to take me home. And I decided then I'm going to serve God harder and better and bolder. I'm going to take every opportunity to share the gospel, whether it's with a nurse, whether it's with a doctor, whether it's with people in our congregation, whether it's with a teenager. I'm like, God, I'm telling them, you know, it's like you, you get glory. Sometimes you get glory in some people's death. People come to the funeral, they hear the gospel, they get saved, and that's great. I said, and you get glory in people's life. I said, whatever you choose, whether it's my death or whether it's my life, I want to bring you glory. And I'm okay. I'm okay whatever way um, that you decide. Mm-hmm. But I want to be used by you. You know, everything I'm going through just be an opportunity to share the gospel. That's where I was six, four and a half months ago, and that's where I am today. And hopefully I'm going to be that way <laughs> until my last breath that I take. But I personally, you know, it's like I told Leah, I'm like, Leah, you have to put this out on Facebook. You have to tell the people, my friends, that the doctor said it. Dan's only got six months because I know what they'll do. And that's exactly what they did. They went to the Lord and they Mm -hmm. prayed. And I personally feel that he's going to heal me if he hasn't already healed me. I think that that's already happened. And if he hasn't healed me, I'm okay with that too. Dan, if you had 20 seconds to speak to every student at Faith Community Church that's watching right now, what would you tell them? I tell every student, and I tell every parent, and I tell every person in our congregation, and every child the same thing. We only have one life. God gives us one life, and we are to be good stewards with that. We have one life to live, and I had to ask them this question, what are you going to do with your one life? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to accept them as your Lord and Savior, and the second thing that I hope that you do, and I hope that you're listening to, is that you're going to give him the first option of your life. You're going to give him, Lord, what do you want in my life? You know, we all have our plans. I had my plans, and probably everyone in this congregation has plans. But what do you want with my life? And that's what I would tell him. You have one life. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. You have one life. So I'm going to give you three minutes right now to just do some business with God. If you're here today and you know that you have been wasting your life on things that won't matter, would you bring it to the Lord right now? Would you commit yourself to him again? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you just have intellectual objections and questions, could I challenge you this morning? to get after those questions. Get after it. We're saying these things matter eternally. 
I'm just gonna give you five minutes right now. Would you just, just pray in your chair right now? Father in heaven thank you for the gift of this one little beautiful mysterious confusing incredible life and we offer ours to you and ask that you would take it today and do awesome things Father, I ask in particular that you would create a culture at Faith Community Church that is living with passion and zeal and focus for that day when you return. I ask that you would give every parent and especially every dad in the congregation greater wisdom, greater zeal for the tone they set in their homes. And God, would you raise up under Dan's leadership, raise up generations of students whose lives are sold out for your kingdom. God, would you bring out missionaries, pastors, teachers, leaders, business leaders, moms and dads out of this congregation who will live completely for your glory. And we pray together for Dan. We ask that you would touch his body, that you would heal him and make him well. Would you give he and Leah decades together? Decades with each other and with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.